Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Week one in college football has finally arrived. Major League Baseball waiver wires have ended as teams try to make a couple extra moves to try and get into the postseason or stay into the postseason. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. But for a lot of people, they can rest easy that college football is back. And not only college football, but football in general is back. Now's the time where you're able to say loudly and proudly, like all sports talk shows have been doing, talking season is finally over and the games are finally here. We made it. There won't be a Saturday without football until some ungodly number of weeks. No one's happier than the football fan that football has arrived. I thought we should start for the average football fan or the fair-weathered football fan that might have been hearing about all these movements and goings-on in college football over the last couple months, thinking, what are they doing? Adding teams, subtracting teams, conferences is folding. What's happening in college football? Is all this happening now? Did everything happen for this? This first week, everything kicks off? Well, no. (laughs) The unfortunate thing for college football has been these progressive announcements moving the sport forward or trying to teams moving conferences conferences trying to add teams to boost their tv deals and get more money because that's what it's always all about the college football playoff changing from four teams to at least 12 to try to make that more exciting and more fair in a sense like more other leagues do when they have more teams added there's more of a chance for somebody to upset teams Maybe making an even playing field. All that stuff, though, isn't happening until next season, 2024. The main big story in this offseason was that the Pac-12 was on the brink. Were the teams going to stay? Were the teams going to go? And the too long didn't read was it looked like they were going to be able to survive with 10 teams, bring two more in, four more in, however the number would be. And the morning of, A couple schools decided we don't want the new TV deal you're offering us, which would have been primarily streaming on Apple TV, something that could be very innovative in the next three to five years. We have no idea what TV is going to look like then. The old owners, commissioners, presidents, all those higher up words said, forget it. We don't want it. Oregon and Washington said we're leaving for the SEC. Colorado, a couple days before that, it said, we're going to the Big 12. And then Utah and the two Arizona schools also said, you know what? We better go to the Big 12 too, leaving just four schools remaining in what is known as the Conference of Champions. 
The unfortunate thing for the Pac-12 is this has been a year that's been deemed to be one of their best as far as talent is concerned and their product is concerned. And there's a ton of excitement around the actual football part of it. And unfortunately, it comes with the caveat of this is it and potentially it for the entire conference. They haven't folded completely yet. They're still hoping that something could happen to keep their name and maybe get other teams to come in, salvage what they can, stay a power five, but it's not looking good. The ACC is trying to steal some of those schools despite being a coastal conference with teams on the coast, the East Coast, that is. And there's just been a lot going on in college football that's taken away from, oh, you mean there's actual games being played this year? You mean these teams that are jumping conferences still have to stay in their same conference this year? It's going to add for a lot of bad blood, even more so than college football actually brings you. But you, Al, as a longtime college football fan, now that we've hopefully summed up that for listeners that didn't know, and sorry for the ones that did to hear it again, because it's been the talking point for several months now. Your brief feelings of the state of what college football is going to be in 2024, since there haven't been too many major changes for this year. The Big 12 added its four teams. That was really supposed to be the only main story because Texas and Oklahoma are known to be leaving next year. They wanted to make sure they were good. It was actually going to be a Big 12 conference with 12 teams. The first time a numbered conference was going to have the same number of teams in a very long time. That's now out the window. How are you feeling about what things are going to look like in college football as of now? Because assuredly this will change in the next year or so but we'll at least stick with what we know for now. Correct, Johnny. Great to be with you and all our fans and friends. And the most important part about that monologue, as accurate and as informative as it was, is the fact that the best part of all of it is that nothing is happening now. We have one more year, one final year, to enjoy college football as we know it to enjoy the Pac-12, which when I was a young man was the Pac-8, to enjoy the Big 12, which was the Big 8, not the Big 12, to enjoy the Big 10 instead of the Big 28, to enjoy the SEC the way it has been for the past couple of years before it expands again, and into enjoy what there is to enjoy of the ACC over and above Clemson because it's a train wreck. It is going to be mass confusion. Uh, I grew up with college football. I grew up in a suburb of Rochester. Saturday afternoons was college football all day. Big Ten, Pack 8 SEC, O.J. Simpson, still the greatest. Forget about what you think about him. Forget about what he, in all probability, did. 1967, 1968 should have been the first time that there was a back-to-back Heisman Trophy winner. O.J. Simpson was the best player on the planet. He's still the best college running back I've ever seen. And it was that magical Saturday. It started at high noon with Ohio State and Michigan 
dot the I, the 10-year war, Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes, winner goes to the Rose Bowl on behalf of the Big Ten. And you had the Pac-8, the doubleheader, following with USC and UCLA, the great rivalry, one year, one year in the Rose Bowl, right? the next year in the Coliseum, their home fields with the great O.J. Simpson, Heisman Trophy winner Gary Beban, and all the great UCSC teams that came after that with, obviously, you know, Pat Hayden and the great Sam Bam Cunningham and Lynn Swan, the 1972 team, still the greatest team I've ever seen with John McKay at the helm, followed by John Robinson and Charles White, and Marcus Allen, and Heisman Trophy winner after Heisman Trophy winner. Then it became the Pac-10, okay? Uh, you know, when the Arizonas joined, because Arizona and Arizona State were in the whack, the Western Athletic Conference, with their great teams, wonderful Arizona State teams, with incredible offensive players and defensive players who went out to the NFL. Too numerous for me to mention, but Hall of Famers, wonderful players. The great Charlie Taylor, wide receiver and uh, receivers coach at Washington, at the, you know, for the, the then Redskins all those years you know, from, from Arizona State. Uh, there was a Ben Hawkins from Arizona, Arizona State, uh, John Jefferson from Arizona State. Wonderful players, incredible players. Danny White, Arizona State, a great Arizona State team with Danny White people. And so many, Art Malone, Benny Malone, and on and on and on. And then they merged those two Arizona and Arizona State teams with the Pac-8 and became the Pac-10. And then later on, obviously, two more get added to come to the Pac-12. I'm going to watch as much Pac-12 football this year as I can, because this is going to be the last of the Pac-12 as we know it. It will be defunct. It will break up. Obviously, we have the bunch going to the Big Ten and the bunch going to the SEC and a few left out there looking for homes, Cal, Stanford, etc. cetera. Um, we have no idea what's going to happen in Washington State. Uh, this is a, it, it's a mess from a college football perspective. College football, as we know it, will never be the same. The super conferences that we've talk, talked about are here, and they're just going to get bigger. Bigger. The ACC is in trouble. You look at the money. But, but, but remember, remember, this was all about the greed of, unfortunately, the Pac-12. The Pac-12 was offered from ESPN approximately $30 million a year per team with a new TV contract. And they walked away from the table. They wanted the money that the Big Ten was getting, which I believe was closer to $50 million. And ESPN said, sign our, uh, and they never even came back with a counteroffer. And this is from a conference who remember most of their games, most of their big games are on a Saturday night when people are out, when people have watched most of the games they want to watch and watch their teams across the country in the East and Central time zone. And uh, they're three hours later. A lot of them are footballed out. If they're not footballed out, they're out because it's Saturday night. And another portion of the country you know, could be asleep by the time those games end. And you were getting off with 30. So basically half of the country may not watch your games or sleep, fall asleep during them. And they offered you $30 million per team a year. That's what the conference had on the table. And they walked away. And 
ESPN never came back. And as a result, they wound up with a streaming offer, which they turned down. And because of their own greed, they, now I could be mistaken on what the Big Ten was getting. I thought the Big Ten was getting significantly more. Maybe not. Yeah, it was, it was around the 50 number because SEC is around somewhere in the 70s. Big Ten's not too far behind. So yeah, it was a lot. It is a lot. But the point is you're, you're getting $30 million a year when a chunk of your games nobody's going to see or want to see because there are, you know, there are teams in their conference that are not big tickets. And we know that Cal has got a struggling program. We know Stanford is followed by the wayside. Yeah, Wazoo's got a pretty big following, especially out west, and their program has really improved. You know, the Ducks obviously are a national program, and of course USC. UCLA has been you know, somewhat revitalized. But the point is the conference is not what it was, and the other conferences have grown by leaps and bounds. Obviously, the SEC is the king of college football, bigger and stronger all the time with their great TV contracts. The Big 12 has maintained itself and grown vis-a-vis the other conferences. It has climbed way past the ACC and way past the Pac-12. And now in third place, we have your conference, which has jumped over, I think, the ACC and obviously uh, you know, above the Pac-12 you know, in your Big 12. So you really now are looking at three conferences that are in very good or great shape and an ACC that is really floundering right now in terms of the TV money that they're getting uh, from a football perspective, big time wise, they've really become Clemson and everybody else. Unless we see a Florida state resurgence, Florida state supposedly wants out because they don't like the, you know, the even split of the TV money. They want a bigger share. We understand why, but you got a contract. It's a contract you signed. Um, and obviously the Pac-12 is, as we know it, will be disbanded and defunct in the 2024 season. So enjoy this last season from the left coast, late night with Caleb Williams, who has a great chance to be the second two-time Heisman Trophy winner in the history of the award. Because he is, as I called him early on last year to the great Nick Wright, I said he's Patrick Mahomes 2.0. And when you watch him play, he is an absolutely astounding player. Incredibly athletic, wonderful in the pocket, a fabulous arm, a great thrower, a great runner. Really a sense and understanding of the game. Last year, the USC defense was atrocious. Lincoln Riley brought in transfers. He brought in a new defensive staff. We'll see what kind of effect it has. And if there's a chance that the best player in the country can make it to the Final Four because the USC defense last year as constructed was uh, an awful division one major conference defense. And it showed in the postseason. Uh, you know, they got throttled for the second time by Utah in the title game in the Pac-12. And then they actually got upset in their bowl game, despite the fact that uh, their quarterback had a wonderful game and their offense put up touchdown after touchdown. <laughs> they simply could not stop. Uh, I don't want to say a, a second-rate opponent, but an opponent that certainly was not to their level. And as a result, uh, Lincoln Riley had to really upgrade the defense. And we'll see. Their opening game was mediocre at best defensively. Obviously, the superstar quarterback, uh, the great Caleb, did what he needs to do. They've got new offensive weapons. They've got a freshman wide receiver everyone's raving about and kick returner. 
But the point is, you know, will USC in the final year of the Pac-12 carry that banner one last time? Will we see the Pac-12 have a chance to triumph in the postseason and be a part of the Final Four one last time? Will we see the Trojan horse? Will we see Traveler in the Final Four? Will we hear that tremendous USC fight song one last time on behalf of the Pac-12? It could be a marvelous season for fuck yous to the conferences of teams that end up winning. We have an opportunity for USC to win the Pac-12. They are the highest ranked of the Pac-12 teams. If we go by the AP preseason top 25, which why would you not? They are sixth. It could be a season of fuck you to the big 12. Texas again is getting the glory of the preseason as being the most talented team in the Big 12 and the team that should win the conference. This is not the first time we have heard that Texas should be the team to win the conference. Well, they they certainly are used to being in this position because we hear it every year. Every year, and, and every year and they every disappoint. Season. Every year every they season. disappoint us. And they disappoint early. They never get off to a Very start. early. Steve Sarkeesian, I think this is his third year now. As the quarterback he wants in Quinn Ewers, built up his line, has wide receivers. It's all there on paper. But we've said that before, long before Steve Sarkeesian. They haven't won the Big 12 since 2009. Feels like a long time ago. They are becoming like, not becoming, they are the, the joke of the conference every year. Oh, is Texas back? Is Texas back? And it's hopefully said in jest by a lot of people because no, they're not. I will believe it when I see it. That's how and a remember, lot of people feel about it. But remember, the they're the team. Report grew up with Texas being a national power. Right. Daryl Royal, back-to-back national championships. James Slick Street, Steve Wister, Jim, Jim Bertelson, Cotton Spire, the original wishbone offense. Um, year after year after year, powerhouse. And then obviously years later with Grado Campbell, the Tyler Rose, Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, and we've seen wonderful Texas teams. We haven't seen one of them in quite a while since they played for the national title. Uh, with name that national title uh, contender quarterback, who was that? Who I believe was just recently released. Colt McCoy. Was, was the Texas? Pardon me? Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy is correct. Colt McCoy is correct. Obviously, uh, you know, they, they won with Vince Young. Man's made a lot of money uh, playing football, Colt McCoy. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, but, but sub, he might find himself somewhere else too after they got rid of him. Su- subsequent to Vince Young in the national title right. team, um, you know, Colt McCoy was the quarterback when they went to the national title game. If he didn't get and, hurt. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I'll say quickly on the Big 12 side, for the other side of the fuck you coin, it could easily be Oklahoma playing Texas in the Big 12 championship game. I don't know if they'll have enough wins for that to mean a berth in the college football playoff, because remember, it's still 
four teams. Do people think it's going to 12? Not yet. So I don't know if that'll mean getting in, but still for the conference at whole, the two teams that are leaving that has a fan base cackling at you for being mad at them for leaving after we carried you for all these years. Now we're the bad guys. No, I could be the big 12 championship game. Texas. I don't know the answer to this. So, uh, you can embarrass me in front of our national audience. Since you are now 12 and you have boasted in the past that it's the only conference, major conference where everybody plays everybody. So it's the only true conference champion. I am presuming you don't play 11 conference games this year and you don't play everybody. Am I correct? Correct. So the beauty of last season was 10 teams. Everybody plays each other. True champion. That happened for a couple of years, obviously, which yes. I do like because there are leagues. I, love it. I should say conferences. I didn't realize until I started working for ACC radio that there are players that played for four years in the ACC that and never, never went a conference opponent, never played a team, not even yep. went to their building, just never played them for four years. You don't yep. have 30 teams. What sense does that make? Every other year you should be mixing it up. It makes no sense at all to me that that could be something that happens. Like that should just be what happens in college sports. Hey, even though you're in this division or you're in whatever, you'll play all the teams in your four years. We promise. No, not even, oh, we never went over there to play, but at least we play them at our place. Nope. You just skip schools for four years. So I think it's cool to have that back and forth where you host them one year, you play at their place the next. Easy peasy. Now, obviously, that's a little different now with 14. It'll be a little bit different as well with 16, where it's going to have to alternate. And I don't know if you'll get there in a four-year period. But I think that's their hope. They don't want to do pods to kind of force games every year. Keep Have it a little bit more fun that way. divisions been set yet? I don't think they're going to go divisions either. You're going to have just one 16-team conference. They haven't decided on if they're going to go 8-8 eight eight yet, no. Oh, you must have divisions. Okay, now here's my next question. Who is separate and apart from the hype? Because you don't have any loyalties here because you didn't attend any of these Hallett universities. Who is the best team preseed going into the regular season in the as currently accurately numbered uh, or previously accurately numbered, uh, but now the Big 12 slash 14? Texas. Texas. They're in. Followed by. Then you can start making your case. A lot of people think that Oklahoma will have caught up. Some people will tell you that despite losing a Heisman finalist and a star running back and a star wide receiver, that TCU will still be okay. Some people will tell you that the defending Big 12 champions, despite losing their running back to the Dallas Cowboys in Deuce Vaughn, will still be okay. What Vegas will lead you to believe... Folks, folks, in, in case you didn't know, he was referring to Kansas State, which not many people do know, outside uh, Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, riddle me this. What is the early report on... Brent Venables, uh, in his 
preseason scenario at Oklahoma. There's a lot of optimism for Oklahoma now that he had a year under his belt to get in players recruiting-wise and bring in players transfer player-wise. Optimism that the quarterback will do better. They lost five games last year by one score. So there's a lot of optimism that that'll change. Water will find its level for that. What about the defense? Because that's his bailiwick. The defense reportedly is going to be a lot better. And scheduling-wise, they have one of the easier schedules of the Big 12 teams. So people are excited for a multitude of reasons for Oklahoma. What I will tell you is Vegas, who seemingly knows all, think that Texas and Oklahoma are at the same. They have them as 9.5 for their over-unders. They have Kansas State coming in next, then TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor. That's what it looks like in the Big 12. But you believe that there is a much larger gap between Texas and Oklahoma? I think there is. Now, what works against Texas, as we just mentioned, they don't cash in when they have these opportunities. So until we see Quinn Ewers play consistently good football, because he had some stinkers last year. Texas Tech, I think he had four or five interceptions. They dropped the Alabama game. He got hurt. Maybe they would have won if he didn't. I think it would have been worse if he had played the whole game. He's healthy. He's healthy. But they could run in a situation where if he's not playing well, Fans will be screaming for a certain nephew of two of the best quarterbacks we've ever watched play football in the National Football League. Wait a second. Wait a second. You mean one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen play in the National Football League? I could rephrase. Two of the most winningest quarterbacks we've ever seen play in the National Football League. That sounds better. The two most famous brothers yeah. ever to play be Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and then in NFL the history. Ne- it's, it's the son of the other guy. The guy was the star of the commercials. The guy that didn't get to play. So the easy answer is it's Texas, Texas and Oklahoma again. But there's a lot of pressure for both teams to have that happen. No, I, I read are that, be coming after them. What I read was that young Mr. Manning's uh, preseason was relatively – uh, mediocre. He will probably be third string to start. Okay. So everybody pump the brakes. But you know how drunk fans get if things aren't going right. Put it in Arch Manning! And we saw what happened in Oklahoma. Speaking of, Spencer Rattler, Caleb Williams before he went to USC. Throw Spencer Rattler to the Wolves, put in Caleb Williams. Ruthless fans are. So the Big 12 doesn't have a lot of ink to it. They don't even have a team in the top 25 for the preseason until you get to 11, which is Texas. Not far behind. Well, I guess far behind because Oklahoma is not even in the top 25. How about that? Think about that, folks. Kansas State and TCU, 16th and 17th. A top 25 without Oklahoma in the preseason. Now, the highlights for the SEC, familiar names, of course. Georgia, number one, no shock, going for a three-peat. First team to ever do that, they would be. Alabama is back as four. LSU is at five. For the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, two and three. Penn State, seven. The ACC is Florida State and Clemson neck and neck at eight and nine. 
and Washington representing the Pac-12, four spots behind USC at 10. Alabama still without a real full-fledged starting quarterback. We will find out exactly who Alabama is and who Texas is again in the second game of the season. You know, and Coach Saban has said, forget about depth charts. We're not giving them labels. Very interesting pre- for him to say that, Al. <laughs> you and the press <laughs> want that. You love that. It was almost like up, he got cloned uh, and somebody else was impersonating him. I was shocked. We saw he had different hairdo. He redid the hair. Well, he's the been smiling for starters, which is the first red flag. Very happy this post this preseason. Where's Nick Saban? And then he comes out and says, we're not making any depth charts because you people in the media, of course, of course. he threw out a you people think uh, this course. is set in stone and we don't want to put that pressure on the kids. What? It's always you people in the media, you evil folks in the media who just make it very difficult for us as coaches and these kids because you put labels on them, you create these great expectations, and uh, it puts us in a very difficult position in terms of how we're going to handle these these young men, uh, some of which are you know, new to playing at this level. So uh, I'm very curious to see what this Alabama team looks like. Uh, they weren't as good as they've been in the past last year on both sides of the ball. And I'm very curious to see how the offseason tragedies and missteps and, uh, I'm sorry, out-of-control Georgia off-the-field program. Uh, I don't want to say bounces back because they have nothing to bounce back from as a on the field team, but how does the program handle what transpired in the offseason? You know, we're basically, you know, in my opinion, you know, if I was Kirby Smart, nobody who's affiliated with the program should be able to get behind the wheel of a car. They should be driven everywhere right, by their parents, right? By teachers, by professors, <laughs> because it's it's been so tragic what transpired there with what these kids are doing in the, these chases, these races. 110 miles an hour, 120 miles an hour. Guys getting stopped with guns. Um, come on, man. These guys are 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're not driving on the racetrack with these cars. They're driving on streets where the speed limits are 35, 40 miles an hour, and kids are getting killed. Lawsuits, and it's a mess. And you know, I, I know he made comments about you know, we're, we're looking to do better, but where is you know, putting the hammer down and really taking a, a more strict approach to how these kids are handled uh, when they're not on the football field and when they're not in the dorm and when they're not going to class. You know, it, it's one thing to have access to an automobile, but you know, these, these, uh, you know, what, what do they call them? Uh, they're not, they're not aides. You know, what's their official title? They're driving the car. You know, one of the gals who was driving the cars. You know, right. Official, I forgot her title, but she was driving the car. She died. Um, and she was driving over 100 miles an hour, supposedly. Uh, lawsuits are pending. They have so, her listed as a staffer in this first staff, article. Staff, 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 staff. Well, you're, you know, you're telling me staff, that Georgia what is, what doesn't have staff? enough money lying around from the boosters where Coach Smart can't say, listen, you might have your car. You're not getting into it. If you need to go to a school function, practice, homework, play, whatever you're doing, we'll drive you there. He is 
Adeshanto Bawa. He has finally, again, you know how many years I was saying that Kirby Smart was the biggest gagger in college football. It was a tough blow for could our show it, could, never years, it, yeah. could never get it done. And now finally, the world is chasing Kirby Smart. It's his world and everybody else living it. The same way it was for you know, Mr. Clemson for a while, you know, for Dabo. But this is, this is, you know, they're dominant. They're beating people up. They're doing it in all conceivable fashions. And they're a juggernaut. Whether or not they keep it up with everything that transpired off the field on top of all the players they lost to the NFL. And they had some preseason injuries. They lost their best running back. Uh, I have no idea. But I'm very curious to see if this, what, what kind of effect this has on the program in general. Are they going to compete for a national title? Are they going to drop back and be seven and four, eight and three, and have you know a, a mediocre year for Georgia? I have no idea. But you know, the, the point is, they really uh, have got to, to me, uh, clean things up in house because what transpired in the offseason to me is just, you know, if I'm a parent of a Georgia player, uh, it's just unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. That kind of conduct, that kind of activity where kids are getting killed it, it, because of misuse of, of automobiles and abuse of the driving privileges and you know, being out, it's, you know, classes, some kind of, scenario where they are advised what they can and can't do and it, it's got to be stricter i understand they're young men and you know going out now the money is there because of you know nil but there, there still has to be some aspect of control there still has to be some element of a steadying hand to preclude these kids from literally killing themselves and other people and i understand Kirby Smart's a football coach, but those are his football players. Those are his guys involved in these activities time after time after time. And he's, he's got to show me something. I mean, it's not just about what's, you know, X's and O's. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not with the potential for abuse out there, with everything that these kids have now. It's not just, you know, Joe Booster handed them 100 bucks. Or a thousand bucks. You know, with the NIL now, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Literally, hundreds of thousands of dollars some of these kids are getting. You know, tens and twenty thousands of dollars. And the abuse is there. And it's clear that it's had a, a terrible effect at UGA because when people start dying, you, you really have to wake up and something's got to be done to have a, a heavier hand. And Kirby Smart's the guy they're going to listen to because he's got the cachet. He's the boss and he's won two straight national championships. So he is the man. So when he talks, everybody should listen. I haven't heard what I need to hear. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So we can breeze through 
the other couple conferences and throw out who we think will rise to the top in each. The storyline surrounding the ACC is obviously with the two teams that sit highest in the AP preseason poll where you could flip a coin. Some people might tell you among Florida State and Clemson for whom will be one to win the Atlantic Coast Conference. If I had to pick, I would still lean toward Clemson because of what they've done previously on their resume, despite not knowing much of what the quarterback position will look like because the lasting impression of Clemson has been DJ Uyunglele underperforming. Disappointing. What Disappointing. Having the Notre Dame game where it was like, this is the guy, and then never matching that again for two seasons. Dabo sticking with him far too long and then throwing him under the bus after. Well, I gave him all the chances. Ooh. Then DJ throwing everybody under the bus when he goes over to Oregon State in the Pac-12. Not a great situation after everyone said goodbye. Jordan Travis returns to Florida State. Mike Norvell has a couple seasons under his belt. They're going to battle it out. I don't think you're wrong in picking either of them. I think the shocker would be another team aside from those two. But I'll lean Clemson for the resume, basically, and that they'll get back on track this season. I'll believe Florida State when I see it. Yeah, that's another team, really. I'll believe Florida State when I see it. I like Mike Norville as a coach. Uh, We've been hearing about what he's doing there and the players that he's getting from a recruiting scenario, Uh, but they've got to show me. They've got to show me that they're back to at least where they were when Jimbo Fisher was at the helm because I haven't seen anything close yet in terms of consistency. A lot of mistakes, a lot of bad penalties, a lot of turnovers, and inconsistent quarterback play. Uh, we shall see. Good coach. Good coach. There's a lot of good coaches. There are a lot, a lot of, of good, good coaches, coaches, and that's great for college football, and I wish there was more leniency with not expecting every coach to win a national championship every year. It's okay to have a good-slash-great coach win you 10 or 11 games, get to a great bowl game, put some of the kids in the NFL, and do that consistently for several years. That's what college football has been. You're not always going to be the top of the heap. It just doesn't happen. There's not enough spaces to go around. Why that's all of a sudden become frowned upon, I don't understand. Tell Ryan Day that's good enough. Some places there isn't patience, Al. Because that'll get Ryan Day fired. Some places there isn't patience. Some places you have to win soon. Jim Harbaugh, same deal. Win soon. Jimbo Fisher's Jim, making all that Jim, money. But, got that recruiting class. Har- you better win Jim soon. Jim Harbaugh has now. Jim Harbaugh's got a little safety. Net. He's been in the playoffs two straight years. True. He's pummeled Ohio State. That's two all. Straight years. That was the line for a very long time with him. That graphic would always come up. Since the last time Michigan's beaten Ohio State, dot, dot, dot. Now it's on Ryan Day. Now it's on Ryan Day. All these guys go to the NFL. All these incredibly skilled players. Uh, but you, know, you can't beat Michigan, and you can't get to a national title game. You get to Final Four, but that's not good enough. Who battles almost it beat, out of the Big Ten for you, then? Almost, almost beating Georgia. Almost beating Georgia, not good enough. Right. You mismanage the clock. You wound up pushing the kid to, out to a 50-yard field goal, which you never chance. Wasn't even close. Got conservative. 
Wasn't even close. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Is that who you think? AP's not wrong. That'll be who probably uh, is at the top. I, again, it's been pretty simple. Even when you watch the teams play, you see the difference. It's not any given Sunday. You watch Michigan and Ohio State play, and they look like they are a class above. Penn State, sure, on Penn State's day, and you know Penn State plays their A game, and Ohio State plays their B minus game. Penn State beat them, but you know it, it's so rare that you see with the skill of these athletes them go out and put up a stinker unless they do it against somebody who they are on par with versus a lesser team. And again, it's about you know, unfortunately, unfortunately. College football has become, which it was not in the past, you could win championships with a pretty good quarterback. You cannot anymore. Your quarterback has to be outstanding. The days are gone of you know my Heisman Trophy award-winning running back, my All-American running back, is going to carry us. That's the way the game has changed. So who is the Penn State quarterback? Who has been the Penn State quarterback? When was the last time Penn State had a quarterback of note who you could look at and say, can't miss NFL player? Exactly. I could name a lot of Penn State quarterbacks, unfortunately, but none of them fit that title, no. Ohio State churns them out. Michigan, not so much, but the kid they have at the helm, you know, who I didn't love, but is is a hell of a player, he's a football player, but he made the huge mistakes last year that cost him the game. You know, against TCU, the two pick sixes, uh, and the full paw on the goal line cost them going to play for the national title. Now, they could have been crushed by Georgia, who knows? the way they were in the semis the year before, but they clearly made progress and were probably a better team, I think, uh, this past season than the season before, although the season before they were pretty damn good, uh, especially defensively. So, does he have a chance to be an NFL player? Absolutely. But who are the great quarterbacks in, in that conference? Ohio State churns them out. Looks like Michigan's got one. You know, they score from every conceivable fashion. Ohio State and Michigan, they score from all over the field. They throw it, they run it. They throw it deep. They throw it underneath. Pro set offenses. Uh, Michigan runs it very well. They've got the great running back back uh, who had the bad ankle last year. I just think uh, that they have jumped ahead of Ohio State. Now, will that continue? Remains to be seen because we know how loaded the Ohio State program is year after year after year. They're massively talented. Can Michigan keep up with that talent? And then really what they've done the last two years is they punched them in the mouth. The last two years, Michigan has run over them. They've bullied them. Well, Michigan, which is, the, which is the way Harbaugh likes to play. Harbaugh wants to play bully ball. He wants to run the football. 
He wants to jam it down your throat. He wants to be the dominant team. He wants his offensive line moving forward. They've done that the last two years to Ohio State at Columbus and obviously, you know, in, uh, in the big house. Can they do it again? Can't wait to see it. And I know if it happens again, it's going to be a coach in Columbus, Ohio, whose office is going to be looking for a new, uh, a new occupant. Because I don't think if, if Ryan Day gets smoked again by Michigan, there'll be problems there. I have to win a national title. There won't be, but or play for a national title. But if they get smoked by Michigan and don't make the final four, and, and that's a perfect example of what you were alluding to earlier. when I said, you know, I know a guy you know, that, that, that's not that way in, in, in Columbus. That's the kind of pressure he's under. You don't go to the final four the way they have knocked on the door the last few years. And you lose to Michigan for the third straight time. He could lose his job. It's idiotic. It's ridiculous. Cause I know, you know, if I'm an OSU guy and after the great run we've had of a pounding Michigan and beating up like they were our, our little brother, you know, things go in cycles. If we lose a third straight year, will I be upset? Oh, of course. But you know, I'm not going to want the coach's head. He's done a great job. They're competing for a national title every year. They're one of the toughest conferences in the country. They're at the top of it every year. He's doing a great job recruiting. You don't hear a lot of off-the-field stuff like you do with Urban Meyer. I'm more at Florida than Ohio State. But you, you get my point. And I, I think Ryan Day's a good guy from interviews and the things I've read and heard. He's a good man and a good coach, really successful coach. But now he is been so successful at Ohio State that he's a victim of his own success. Of his own success. Harbaugh's got this leeway because he's the, he's the he's the Michigan guy, and he's still a kind of a goofball to me. I'm sorry. I listen to what he says in the press conference sometimes, and I don't know what the hell he's thinking. Sometimes it's hysterical. Sometimes it's really thoughtful, and other times it's it's like buffoonery. I don't know what I'm going to get. But he's recovered and regathered and reloaded and recruited incredibly well. And he has done now twice in a row what he hasn't been able to do. And he's done it in grand fashion. They didn't just beat Ohio State. They throttled Ohio State physically and mentally. And that's tough to do. And went to the Final Four both times. So I don't know if they'll win a national championship in Michigan. I don't know if they'll be good enough to do that. But you know, when you get to the Final Four and you're competing, you got a shot. And I think they got a real shot because they got, you know, they've got a lot of weapons. And you know, I don't know about the defense this year because um, they lost a lot. But they have the quarterback. They have receivers. They have you know, running back, offensive line. The offense can be really good. I don't know how good the defense can be. So let me go with Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and then it comes down to the fourth. 
why I don't have faith in USC is they have to play at Notre Dame after seeing what Sam Hartman did against Navy. Doesn't change my opinion because I know Sam Hartman's a good quarterback. It's an away game in Ireland. Let's not get too carried away. But he's a good quarterback. Is that game in South Bend? That game's in South Bend. The next week they host, but still, Utah. You go to Cal, which is fine. Utah's kicked their ass. Yeah. Then you have to go to Washington, who we mentioned is in the top 10. You go to Oregon for your second to last game, and you close things out with UCLA. That is a tough end of the season. USC had a better chance last year, which we talked about all year long, to go to the Final Four. Their schedule wasn't as tough in terms of the caliber of the opponent and the roadshow. They may not have been as good last year, but it was there for them last year. Right. And they could not beat Utah. Twice. Twice. I mean, they're going to be talked about because Nevada, Stanford, Arizona State, at Colorado, and Arizona, they should be fine through those games. So there's no excuse for them to not be 6-0 and going to Notre Dame. It's going to be a great game. But I, that's a lot of talent to have to go through to end the season. I don't see it. Florida State has the easier end to their season, but they have to play LSU to open the season. I don't think people remember that. Not great. They host LSU to start the season. Still not great to have to play LSU, who's fifth. Then their fourth game, they're going to Clemson. That obviously makes or breaks their season in a lot of regards. Same can be said for Clemson, but Clemson also has to play Notre Dame, so I don't like their chances necessarily to get in. If we look at Alabama, Al, they have to play Texas week two, but they host them. They play Ole Miss, but they host them. They go at Texas A&M, probably their hardest game on October 7th. They have to play Tennessee, but they host them. They have to follow that play in LSU, but they host them. If you're looking around at like, okay, that's not the worst of schedules, home field-wise, you're playing Texas, Tennessee, Ole Miss, all three in the top 25, but at home. The SEC is a minefield. There's no off weeks. Simple as that. I mean, you know, the SEC, I I have no idea this year because, again, the quarterback scenario between Alabama and LSU and A&M. And Georgia. Oh, no, I know Georgia. Even though they're in the quarterback situation, even though they're in a quarterback situation, uh, Georgia's loaded. Right. Win in spite of your quarterback if you have to. is going to be a lot easier for them. If but I don't, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, Jimbo Fisher's making a ton of money. They've had some good moments. But good moments does not a great season make. Right. And he hasn't had one yet. He hasn't had one yet. So... What are we going to say? You know, at A&M. You were talking about Penn State before. Like, who could you name that was NFL talent? I can name a lot of Notre Dame quarterbacks. Eh. They were good for Notre Dame. Kind of. <laughs> you know? Brady Quinn. Yeah. First round draft. Pick. The last one, really. Sitting in the green room till pick 22. Never forget it. He's still, he's still sitting in. Still in the green room. But, Never but, forget it. But this kid is... 
you know, it, it, he's the modern day college quarterback. You know, he throws it all over the field. Uh, got off to a great start, obviously against Navy, and he's got experience, you know, in a major college, in a major conference. So I'm very curious to see behind the usual big, strong Notre Dame offensive line with weapons uh, against a big time schedule with the pressures of played in Notre Dame, how he performed. So let me just Homer then and go Georgia, Michigan, Ohio state. And I will Homer for one team from the big 12. Why not? I'll take one. I'm not going to tell you which I'll just take one from the big 12, whoever it is. Give me you another TCU. You need something for programming. <laughs> we do. Although talking season is over, Al, I don't know if you've heard on any of the sports shows that you've listened to talking season has ended. The games are now here. We've barely discussed Alabama. They don't have a depth chart out. That's why we don't have the information in front of us. And that's exactly the way Coach Saban likes it. He doesn't want us talking about exactly. it. Exactly. He's playing that card. We'll see if it works. It's going to be a fun year Never of college been. football. We said it in the beginning to enjoy it because so much of it is going to be a final chapter, but it's going to be so much fun getting to it. If you're guys like us in the Northeast... Whose baseball seasons are respectively over. <laughs> Our baseball seasons are over. One of us went to a D3 college that doesn't have a football team and hasn't since 1969. Another one of us happened to go to a Division One college who has a football team that plays indoors but hasn't been good since Donovan McNabb was in college. We want good college football up here. It's going to be a fun season. There's no question about it. And there's room for the, wow, the surprise. TCU. There's room TCU. for that. TCU. Sit back. Relax. Still the same. Just think of Bob Seeger. Still the same. That's the best advice we can give you. And also, death, taxes, Nebraska football losing a close football game that they were once winning late. Minnesota 13, Nebraska 10. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, he's my partner, the great John Tiny Lund. This has been New Report, Old Report. Of course, I'm the old portion. Until next time, I'm Al Renato, AKF from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.